Happy New Year, my dear listeners, and welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. Today, we are talking to the godfather of financial independence and international best-selling author, J.L. Collins. That's right. We're going to be talking about his new book, Pathfinders, which is a sequel or really companion novel to our novel, companion book to The Simple Path to Wealth. You're going to be hearing about the framework J.L. recommends to reach Phi after he's collected hundreds of stories uh, to compile in this book. And why are we doing this right now? Well, with the start of the new year, we wanted to bring uh, one of our favorite all-time guests and serial author now to discuss the path to Fi and his new book, share all of these different journeys, and hope that that inspires you with your New Year's goals and resolutions around reaching Fi. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen, and with me as always is my Finding His Own Path co-host, Scott Trench. Always a pleasure to navigate the journey to financial independence with you, Mindy. Scott Without further ado, let's bring in JL Collins. JL, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. I am so excited to talk to you today. Well, thank you, Mindy. I'm excited to be here. I appreciate the invitation. JL, we first spoke to you way, way, way back on episode 20, and then again on episode 116 and 285. But for our new listeners, or just a reminder for our audience, how did you initially get involved in financial independence? Oh, great question. I... uh I started writing my my blog, jlcollinsnh.com, in 2011, and, and I really had no intention of starting a blog. It was just a way to archive some letters that I'd been writing for my daughter. I'd managed to turn her off to all things financial by pushing it too soon and too hard, and I want to make sure the information was available to her if and when the time came she was ready to hear it. Uh, and even if I wasn't around and a friend suggested that I, I put this stuff on a blog and I thought that's a great way to archive it. I barely knew what a blog was. I never dreamed it would develop an audience, but uh, that was, that was the beginning. And of course, none of my friends and relatives cared about it, but I started developing a, a, a readership outside that circle. I think all bloggers can relate to that. Your friends in real life are like, yeah, we don't care. Oh, sure. I totally read your blog every day. They've never even typed it in. Exactly. You, you know, you compiled, a, I think a lot of that work inspired, you know, a classic in the financial independence world uh, in the simple path to wealth, which has been, you know, read millions of times now. Is that right? Millions? Well, it's sold almost 700,000 copies at this point. So it's probably fair to say it's been read at least a million times because people pass it around and they get it out of the library and that sort of thing. Awesome. So phenomenal. It's it's a classic. We recommend it all the time. We, in fact, we recommended it just the other day to another podcast guest because it's just such timeless, classic, awesome advice here. Um, but today we want to talk about a new book that you wrote and where I think that's informed by the success of The Simple Path to Wealth, maybe the relationships you form with your audience over time. Can you tell us a little bit about Pathfinders? Yeah, so Pathfinders is a book that has been in the back of my mind to do within a year of The Simple Path to Wealth coming out, because I wrote The Simple Path to Wealth for my daughter, as I alluded to earlier in starting the blog. And so it's it's very specific. It's, you know, she's an American. She was in college at the time, at the beginning of her journey. And within months of The Simple Path to Wealth coming out, I started to hear from people who read it from all over the world and from all different stages of their life. And they were taking this, this kind of specific book and adapting the principles and lessons to their own unique situations. 
And I just thought that was incredible because it's a collection of just about a hundred stories. Uh, again, from all over the world, all different, uh, kinds of people, different stages of their own journey, talking about how they've applied the lessons from the simple path to wealth and where they are on that path everywhere from kind of near the beginning to already fully financially independent and, and, you know, I think a large number of people who discovered the concept of financial independence, but aren't really on the path or, you know, are on the path, but just at the beginning, find that it can be a little daunting with these large numbers that need to be invested in order to get to financial independence. How does Pathfinders help answer this question and potentially uh, allay some of the anxiety about being able to reach these goals? Yeah, that's a great, great point, Mindy, because it, if you're at the very beginning, it, it can look very intimidating. And the first thing I tell people is that it's a journey. Right? It's not an on-off switch. And the moment you start down the path, the moment you start uh, getting rid of your debt, if you have it, uh, and saving and investing if you don't, or once that debt's blown out, you get a little bit stronger than you were the day before. And so it's not like you have to wait to the end to enjoy the benefits that come from being just on the path. Uh, and the stories in Pathfinders really illustrate that because, as I mentioned, there are some people, there's some stories from people that have come to the end of their journey, but the vast majority of stories are people that are at some stage of their journey. And they talk about, you know, what it's meant to them and, and how they got there and, and how it's enriched their life. So I think it's, it's for somebody who's contemplating, uh, maybe starting down the path to being financially independent. I think it's a pretty inspirational book filled with, uh, pretty inspirational stories. In fact, one of the questions I got, uh, early on was, should people read the simple path to worth to simple path to wealth first uh, before Pathfinders? And I thought about that. And I said, no, I think you can really read either one of them first. But then the more I thought about that question, the more it occurred to me that actually Pathfinders is probably the better introduction to this because, you know, I could not have written Pathfinders obviously without the simple path to wealth. I wouldn't have the stories. But Pathfinders really talks about how accessible this is, no matter where you're starting from, no matter what your initial starting point is. One of my pet peeves is the pushback against the financial independence community that says, oh, that sounds wonderful. That sounds good. But that's only for people who have very high salaries and have certain kinds of tech jobs or engineering jobs. And that was never my experience as I met people in, in, in this community. And when you read through Pathfinders, yeah, there's a couple of stories from people like that, but the vast majority of stories are from people who are not at all like that and, and, and who come from very humble beginnings. Uh, there's a story in there, for instance, from a guy who was a child migrant laborer, you know, picking asparagus in the field. Uh, you know, there's a story from somebody who says, you know, when I was a kid, the rich people were the ones that had flush toilets. So it doesn't matter how humble your beginnings or your starting point. This is a path that has worked for other people and can work for you. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, 
we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You ever feel like your vacation rentals since empty too often? Missing out on potential income? Look, you're not alone. Many property owners struggle with underperforming bookings and the complexities of property management. But here's some good news. Vacasa outperforms other property managers in 92% of the markets they operate. They've helped homeowners like you increase their bookings by an average of 24%, turning those empty days into profitable opportunities. Want to see what your earnings could look like with Vacasa? Visit biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, and get a free personalized income estimate today. That's biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. Well, one of the things that I noticed here is, you know, not all the stories are people who have completed the journey to financial independence as well. So you have people who start from a variety of different positions, and you also have people who are at various points along the journey. And to your point earlier, you've highlighted how um, the benefits, you don't have to wait until the very end of the journey to get some of those benefits. What were some of the, what were some of the, the, the stories that stuck out to you in terms of the life-changing outcomes that even maybe just a few years down the path, um, really had on some of those folks? Oh, I, I mean, it's, it's kind of all of them because most of them are, are, you know, people that are at some point along, along the journey, but, you know, the stories that, that, that stick, some of them that stick out to me, obviously the first two I, I mentioned about the child migrant labor and the, and the flush toilets. But, you know, there's a story in there from a guy in Ukraine who is not only following the simple path to wealth, but he has a podcast, which by the way, he was kind enough to invite me to be on for other Ukrainians who are following this path. And, you know, their country's at war. They're, they've been invaded. Um, so, I mean, I, I love a story like that because it just illustrates anybody can do it. It almost doesn't matter what your circumstances are. There's a story in there from a guy in the middle of Russia. You know, his country is an international pariah. You know, there are huge economic sanctions against Russia because they invaded Ukraine. Makes it extraordinarily difficult to, to try to build wealth. But, you know, he's... He's figuring out ways to do it in spite of those obstacles. And again, this speaks to my heart because, you know, one of my pet peeves again is the people say, oh, you know, that this can't be done unless you start from some privileged position. Uh, or, you know, that sounds wonderful, but, you know, I'd have to give up my least luxury cars and my McMansion. And that's just, that's just too hard. And, you know, when you read these stories, you realize, no. You can choose not to do. In fact, I've said, if you read Path, there's a risk in reading Pathfinders, especially if you're a naysayer, because if you read Pathfinders, you will never again be able to look in the mirror 
and say this can't be done because there are just too many great stories of people who are in fact doing it. You'll still be able to say, I choose not to do it, but you won't be able to say, I can't do it, do it. Well, one of the things that I've noticed, you know, we all, whenever we're talking to somebody here on the Bigger Pockets Money podcast about their journey with money, there's always a catalyst moment that I'm looking for. Like, what was that moment where, you, you know, it, 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 sometimes it's an evolution, a, a process. Um, many of the stories, I think, in Pathfinders cite the simple path to wealth as that aha moment for them. But excluding that, what are some of the aha moments that you've seen in those stories? Like, what are the, the, the drivers that prompt the change of behavior and the journey, the beginning of the journey down the path to financial independence? Wow. That's, that's, that's a tough one because you're testing my memory. I, I think, you know, there are situations where, where you know, people, uh, find themselves in a, in a difficult situation. Maybe they've, they've, uh, come across hard times, but, you know, most of them, because they're talking about where they are on the journey are talking about the, the results of, of the benefits of having done this. I mean, there's a story in there of someone, and again, this is someone who's not fully financially independent, but was hit with some major medical issues. And talking about how challenging dealing with those were and what a tremendous relief it was to not have to worry about money in that context, you know, because if, if you, if you haven't begun to, to build a financial suit of armor, so to speak, uh, and you get hit with something like that, well, now you're not, you're not only dealing with the health issue that, that is afflicting you, afflicting you or a family member or whatever, but you have to deal with all the financial ramifications around that. And, and so being on a, on a path to, to building wealth and resources is, is just incredibly powerful. Uh, you know, people talking about how they, there's, there's a guy who's a ski bum, basically. And he talks about how, you know, he works in a restaurant. I, I think he's a server. And how in three months he can not only make enough to live on for the rest of the year, but he's also putting money aside to build his, his, his wealth to, you know, to ultimate financial independence. And of course, the secret is he just lives very cheaply. You can appreciate he house hacks is, is one of the things, you know, and he just hasn't got caught up in buying a lot of stuff. So he's got this incredible lifestyle that this, this approach, walking the simple path to wealth is, is provided. So yeah, just about everybody who's in Pathfinders, almost by definition, started by reading The Simple Path to Wealth and, and applying the, the the lessons that are in that book. One of the things I like so much about Pathfinders is that it isn't just, and this is, you know, the, the stereotypical FI follower is the tech bro who makes a ton of money and then just spends less and invests the rest and feel kind of hypocritical saying this because we reached financial independence because my husband is a tech bro who made a lot of money and we didn't spend very much. But I like that there's so many different stories with different circumstances because, you know, in the beginning of my financial independence media participation, that's all I heard was people who were making like $180,000 and they were saving 50% of their income. Oh, wow. How did you do it? Like that's, that's not really such an impressive story. It's still an impressive story because, you know, in America, you spend everything. So the fact that you're not spending everything and instead are thinking about the future is great. But when you're only spending $60,000 and then of your $180,000 paycheck, wait, that doesn't, that's not right. 
well, whatever, if you're only $90,000 of your 180 paycheck and then you're, you're, uh, investing $90,000, that's, you're like, well, I only make $45,000. So I guess this isn't for me. And then you go away. And, and this is, this book is showing that, Hey, you can do it. And, you know, it's not just rich people that can do it. You can be making a whole lot less and still pursue financial independence. And, you know, honestly, you're not going to get there as fast as the guy who's saving $90,000 a year, but you can still get there. And that's, I think it's really encouraging to show people and, you know, me telling you, hey, you can do it is not nearly as powerful as reading a real life story of somebody who did it and and seeing that, yeah, somebody in my circumstance can do this, too. That's uh, I, I just I really love this book, Jim. Well, well thank you. I mean, I'm, I'm glad it resonates. And I do. I, you know, now that it's been out for uh, for a while, I, I'm hearing that kind of feedback. And I absolutely agree with you. I as I think I said a little bit earlier, I, one of my pet peeves has always been this concept that, oh, this is only for wealthy engineers and this FI path. And that was actually not my experience when I, as I, when I first started writing in, in this FI community and starting to get to know people, I certainly met people like that, including you and Carl, but I met a lot of people who are not like that. And I think what, the naysayers lose sight of or people who become intimidated by this is that achieving financial independence is not just a function of, of accumulating a certain amount of money. There's not a magic amount of money. It's a balance between how much you have, how much you accumulate and how much you need, right? And the less you need, the less you need to accumulate. So for somebody who's making $45,000 a year, as an example, uh, you know, to replace that income, they're not going to need as much as the person making $180,000. So they will probably get to what they need at about the same time that the, that the higher income person will get to what they need. It's not like everybody needs two and a half million dollars, which is throws off a hundred thousand dollars. So it's it's very much a balance between what you have and what you need. And the less you need, the stronger you are financially. You know, obviously, the more money you have, the stronger you are financially. But the other side of that equation is the less you need, the stronger you are financially. Going back to that ski bum waiter, you know, he's constructed a life where his financial needs are very minimal. So he, he only has to work three months out of the year. And, and not only can he ski the rest of the time, but he's also building wealth. You just said the less you need, the easier this is to accomplish and the faster you can accomplish this. So for somebody who is listening, who spends every dime they make, how do you need less? Well, that's a huge challenge. In fact, I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful that personally, I never fell into the the trap of lifestyle inflation. And, and I'm very grateful that my daughter so far has avoided it because it has to be extraordinarily difficult to have constructed a certain kind of expensive lifestyle and then to unwind it. Uh, you know, one of the stories that I like to tell around this idea that, that, uh, you know, only high income people can achieve financial independence. Because my experience, I've, I've known a lot of people make a lot of money and they're not all financially independent. And I know a lot of people have made very modest amounts of money who are. 
And one of my favorite stories along those lines is back in the early 1990s, I was in Chicago having lunch with a friend of mine who, uh, who was in the financial business. He had just gotten his bonus check for $800,000. Uh, a bonus, you know, in that business is a big part of your income, but it's not all of it. So, I don't know, maybe his income was a million two or something. You know what we talked about at lunch? We talked about how an $800,000 bonus was not enough to make ends meet. Now I can I can see Mindy your your you know your jaws on the floor. Uh, my jaw, frankly, was on the floor. I imagine for a lot of our listeners, they're having the same reaction. A lot of people are probably saying, "Man, pay me eight hundred grand for one year, and I'm done." But when I sat at lunch with my friend and he w- walked through the lifestyle he'd created, you know, the the least luxury cars, the multiple houses, the private schools the exotic vacations, and you start totaling that up and you realize that he's he was right. He is actually not making enough money to support the lifestyle he's put together, let alone begin to build financial independence. So you say, how the hell can somebody make it, say, a million two not already be there? Well, that's how. It's, it's the lifestyle you create. And he will never be there unless... He makes significantly more money and resists spending that extra money, or he reconstructs his his life to to bring it back to more reasonable levels of spending. Uh, by the same to- token, I've known people who've never made more than forty thousand dollars a year, who are financially independent. Again, based on that formula of what their needs are. The lesson there is that boating is a rental sport. <laughs> No, it's just amazing though. It's, it's about, it's about what, you know, I, and, and it comes down to spending your spending. I think, you know, I think Pathfinders validated this for me is it's not always, it's all, there's always a factor, right? It's income spending and how you invest, but spending overwhelmingly seems to be the most important variable among the people who actually get to financial independence and have a stable portfolio that they can sleep well at night around. Has that been your experience as well, JL? Yeah, I would I would say that's true. It's certainly been my personal experience. So when I came out of college in the, in 1972, and it took me two years to get my first professional job because the 70s were a very difficult economic time with stagflation and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I just arbitrarily said, you know, I'm going to save and invest 50% of my income. There was no internet in those days. There was no, you know, uh, there were no computers for that matter, at least no computers, personal computers. Um, so I didn't, I didn't have any, any guidelines for this. I was wandering in the wilderness, making it up as I went along, but I knew that this was an incredibly important thing to me to have financial freedom and, uh, and so I arbitrarily, arbitrarily decided I was going to save 50%. That savings rate not only got me to FI, but it saved me from some financial mistakes I made along the way. Because again, I didn't have any, any guidelines for how to do this. I had to, had to learn it all, all the hard, hard way. And then I, you know, when my first, my first salary was $10,000 a year. Well, I knew people who were living on $5,000 in those days and $5,000 a year was a whole lot more than I'd been living on in college. 
because I put myself through college. So this was not deprivation for me at all. This was a big step up. And then when I was making 20000 a year, you know, I was saving and investing ten, and I and now was doubling the amount of money I was living on my lifestyle money. And when I was making fifty, you know, twenty five and twenty five and a hundred, fifty and on, on up the scale as 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 my career progressed. I, in fact, I've come to start saying, you know, I I have spent every dime that has ever come into my possession, and I've spent it almost the moment I got it. The difference is that I spent half of those dimes on the thing that was most important to me, which was my freedom. And I think everybody does that in their own life. They spend their money on the things that they think are most important to them. In our culture, a lot of times that's fancy cars and big houses and, you know, those kinds of things. And I say now that if anybody listening to us or who reads The Simple Path to Wealth or Pathfinders, um, you know, I don't necessarily hope that they, they follow the simple path. That's up to them. But I hope that now they know that's an option, that freedom is something you can also spend your money on. And that maybe for some people, that's, that's a, will become the more important thing. Because if it isn't the, the more important thing, then you're never going to be financially independent. I love it. I think that that's the most important thing to me. That's what I'm spending my dimes on. And I wish more people would do it. It's just it, the power that comes with it is so uh, incredible to direct the rest of your life. And yeah, I, it, at your point, you know, my entire journey has been the same way, right? Where I spent 50% of my, my income or less the entire time. And it feels like I'm spending a ton now, but it's still less, you know, but it, it, it's just because it's been ramping up um, the entire time. I started on such a low base. So yeah, I, I love that, that framework. And I think it's, I think it's super powerful. And that's another benefit of the compounding. You know, it, it's just the spending piece, the buying freedom, whatever it is, is such a multiplier effect. I think Mr. Money Mustache put it this way, but it's like, it, the less you spend, the faster you accumulate and the less your portfolio has to kick off in order to sustain your lifestyle. So it's like a double, it's like a double, uh, factor in the, in the equation. It's all after tax. Every dollar you don't spend is after tax, uh, accumulation for you. Um, so it, it, it's, you know, it, it's powerful in that regard. Um, and it just totally de-risks your situation. If you spend 50% of what you bring in, even if you get fired and have to take a 20% pay cut at another job, you're still saving 30%. So you can be way more aggressive. You're golden. Yeah. You know, you probably are able to, you know, if, if you spend 50% of what you earn, here's another one. You, you accumulate a year of savings in a year. If you save 10% of what you earn, it takes you nine years, the math works, to accumulate one year. Of saving. So, I mean, that multiplier is so huge on this. And that also extends to how you invest. A lot of very wealthy people, I think, who earn very high incomes, but have very low savings rate, perhaps like your friend with the $800,000 investment, cannot afford to set something aside in an all stock portfolio and wait 30 years for it to go up, a la simple path to wealth. But if he had spent 50% of his income and had a huge pile of, you know, was it was so confident in the annual cash flows that he had, then he doesn't have to worry about uh, not being able to access the money until financial independence is reached or a very long time horizon. So it allows him to be more risk, take on more risk uh, associated with the volatility of that investment. So my rant's over and in complete agreement with you. I absolutely agree with you. Points well taken. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. 
It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at NerdWallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. I'm curious, have you been struggling to keep your vacation rental booked? I totally get it. It's tough to manage and keep filled. But we found something that really works. It's called Vacasa. They've seriously changed the game for a lot of the BP audience. In almost every market they're in, Vacasa manages to fill up the calendar more than anyone else. And get this, the average Vacasa user sees about 24% more bookings than with other managers. That's a lot of extra income. Curious to see what you could be earning? You can get a personalized income estimate right there. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at what Vacasa can do for you. Check out biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A. Biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. I have a new rant, JL. Let's talk about the 4% rule. It's actually a, a question, not a rant, although I can go off on the 4% rule forever because I'm a huge fan, uh, spoiler alert, but uh, Michael Kitsis, in his article, How Has the 4% Rule Held Up Since the Tech Bubble in the 2008 Financial Crisis, has this fascinating chart that shows your portfolio has a very real chance of increasing after 30 years of the 4% withdrawals to two to nine times the starting balance of 30 years ago. How do you balance the saving with the not saving too much. So the the four percent rule is is uh, uh, also something I can go off on a rant on as well. <laughs> so let let me let me start by saying I I hate calling it a rule because I think that that makes people a little bit crazy and you wind up you know I I, I read debates now as well is four percent the right amount or should it be three point seven eight two you know I just. It's a, it's, it's a terrible rule. It's a wonderful guideline, right? So if you go back to the Trinity study, which came out in the 90s, and you look at, and they looked at 30 years and different withdrawal rates and different portfolios from 100% stocks to 100% bonds, different, different allocations of those two things, you know, that's where uh, I think the idea of 4% came from because if you withdraw 4%, uh, and you adjust it for inflation every year, there is a 96% chance that you, that money will last at least 30 years. That sounds like pretty good odds. And so I think that's where the 4% rule came from. But if you really look at those charts, <clears throat> excuse me, if you really look at those charts, what you see is that that in the vast majority of times, not only does the money last 30 years, but it grows. And in a certain percentage of those times, to your point, it, it grows incredibly large. Um, and so what I say to people is anybody, nobody, and I don't think anybody really would do this, but if, if, you, if you chose a 4% withdrawal rate adjusted for inflation every year, 
and just set it on automatic pilot and never paid any more attention to it, that would be a mistake. It would be a mistake for two reasons. The reason most people focus on is the fact that it does fail 4% of the time. It's not perfect. And so you could wake up one day and find yourself broke. Nobody wants that. So you need to pay attention. And if the winds go against you, you're going to need to adjust so you don't wind up broke. But the bigger reason to pay attention to it is the fact that the, the far more likely scenario is if you just let it run on at 4% for 30 years, you're going to wake up and have this huge pile of money that you could have been enjoying over those 30 years. So 4% is a wonderful guideline. Use it as a guideline. It's a great way to determine whether or not you're financially independent. If, if you apply the 4% rule to whatever you have against whatever you need, it's a great formula to make that call, but you're going to have to pay attention. Uh, you don't want to run out of money, which is the 4% chance, but you also want to be aware of the 96% chance that you probably could have taken more along the way and enjoyed your life a little more than you might otherwise. I think it's really important to note that you have to pay attention. And I'm wondering how many people get themselves to a point of financial independence and early retirement uh, as opposed to traditional retirement and then stop paying attention um, because I don't, I don't know about you, but my husband is obsessed and goes and checks like his morning routine is sit down at the computer and check every single balance. That's not my morning routine. I don't have to pay attention because he pays attention and we talk about it all the time. But this is, you know, this is something that I have found most people that I know in the FI space continue to pay attention even after they stop working. It's just like maybe they're not as obsessed as Carl is, but they're still keeping an eye on it. And I was actually talking to Pete a couple of years ago, and he's like, you're not going to run out of money because if you get yourself to this position, you're going to keep paying attention. And then when you're paying attention, you'll notice that your balance is starting to go down well before you get to 30 years out. And all of a sudden you're like, hey, why do all my checks bounce? You know, you you're still going to pay attention to it, I think. Mindy, I think that's a great point and that anybody who follows the who gets into this FI community and especially if you follow the simple path to wealth, almost by definition, you're going to pay attention to this. And this is another reason that that I find the obsession about whether 4% is the correct withdrawal rate to be kind of absurd because you know, it, there's, there's an underlying assumption that people won't be paying attention. You know, anybody who is, who has the wherewithal and the interest and the knowledge to achieve financial independence or even again working towards it is by definition going to be paying plenty of attention, probably too much attention, like maybe your husband does. Um, and it doesn't take that much attention. You just have to look at it maybe once a year. And say, gee, you know, where do, where do I stand? I mean, if you had a really bad year like 2022 where the market was down 22%, well, okay, you know, you might want to think about uh, taking a little less money the next year. If you have a great year like we've had so far in 2023, uh, you know, then you look at it differently. But you're right. The kinds of people who would suffer by not paying attention are not the kinds of people who are going to be doing this anyway. 
So the kinds of people for whom the four following the four percent rule could actually uh, result in, in what would still be a very modest risk. They're not the kind of people doing this. So uh, you know, yeah, I think it's a it's a great guideline, and don't it's nothing to obsess about. The the reason it's so obsessed about is because. The FI community, and by definition, is kind of obsessed with enough. Like, what is what is enough, right? And enough is a function of how much you spend, or how much you project you want to spend, and how much how many assets you need in order to to get to that point. So, you know, the the, the first question is a personal choice. The second question is as as closely as we can do it reasonably benchmarked around this 4% concept. And that's where that, that comes down to what I've detected in pathfinders is the understanding and defined definition of enough among all the people really that, that the story, the story projects that are on the path, they, they have that, the definition in place. And generally speaking, it's fairly modest. It's not this $1.2 million is not uh, covering my needs situation. It's something much less than that. That, and, a, and a clear definition of what 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 uh, drives happiness, and I think that's that's what it's all about. And and then it's an engineering mindset, um, which I think is why it attracts so many engineers to back into how many assets do I need to, to preserve that. I will also say this about the four percent rule: I have never met a person. I've met a lot of financially independent people. I've never met a person who has the four percent rule and nothing else, and calls himself and and, and is, is actually living the five lifestyle. It is ne- I've, maybe they're out there. You let me know when they're there, but I've never met someone who has that and nothing else. No big cash position, no pension from the military, no blog, no book, no uh, uh, other source of passive income. All of them go well past it. So guideline or rule, wonderful, whatever we, you know, it's in practice, not used by people once they actually get to that point. Yeah. You know, I, I, I would agree. I don't think I've ever met anybody like that either. You know, I think the other thing in Pathfinders as I'm as I'm listening to you, you reflect your observations about it. When we were selecting the stories to go in, it we didn't eliminate a bunch of so we didn't we didn't look at stories from high income earners and say, okay, we're not going to include those. We're only going to include stories from people more modest means. I mean, that's the, that was not a metric we used. It's just that was the kind of stories that are in Pathfinders were pretty much the kind of stories that came to us. And, you know, they were chosen uh, based on, on, you know, how cool the story was otherwise. So, you know, there's, there's at least one story in there that I can think of offhand that is sort of that, that stereotypical model. It was a couple from Ohio that were uh, software engineers. They went to Silicon Valley. They managed to keep their expenses low. They made the big salaries you could make out there. And then when they accumulated their money, they moved back to Ohio where the living's a lot cheaper, a little bit of geo arbitrage. And, you know, so there is those, there are those kinds of stories in there, but yeah, mostly it's people who have a, have their feet pretty solidly on the ground and they know that spending money doesn't inherently going to make, it's not going to make you happy. Uh, owning a lot of stuff is not going to make you happy. And, but having enough, you know, we all need to have enough and then maybe a little bit extra beyond that. And once you're there, what more do you need? JL, what do, what do, um, some of the, you know, the folks that you interact with, like what, like just giving, giving, you know, some listeners a glimpse into the folks who completed the journey, what do their day-to-day lives look like? 
uh, by and large, once they've accumulated this enough and left work? What are some of the examples of things that you find most inspiring or, or neat about those folks, like the Ohio couple? One of my very, very favorite stories in there is, and I alluded to this one earlier, is from my, my friend Tom. And he was also a case study on the blog. And Tom was a client of mine, which is how I how I know him back in the 90s when we were both in the, I was in the publishing business. He worked for an ad agency. Um, but in Tom's life, everything went financially wrong. You know, Tom had a couple of expensive divorces. Uh, I think he's got five kids from, you know, the, the two different marriages uh, he had a, he was a very talented, successful guy, but you know, in the ad agency business is, is a business that caters to young people for the most part. So as he got older, he became less and less employable. Um, he ultimately lost his house to foreclosure. He went bankrupt. You know, he lost his job and was unable to, to, uh, replace it. And at the age of six, so he's going bankrupt and, and losing his house to foreclosure at the age of 62, right? 60, 62. So he's kind of an old guy, uh, at that point. And so he takes his social security at 62, which is not optimal because you don't get your full benefit doing that, but he needed the money to live on. He had a very tiny pension from one of the companies he'd worked for along the, along the way. But then, you know, Tom went out and, and he got a job on the Firestone. I think Firestone, the, the Henry Ford Museum has a, has an 18th century working farm where, you know, people who visit the museum can see how farming was done back in those days. And they have people who actually do the farming chores. It's a real operating farm but who dress up in period costume and they farm the way it was done in the 1800s. Well, Tom is one of those. And so now in, in, in his old age, he's got this great job where he's working outside, you know, he's physically active. He's a very personable, sociable guy. So he gets to interact with people who come to the museum. He doesn't make a lot of money doing that, but he's got a little bit of money coming from that. He's got a social security. He's got this tiny little pension. Tom's doing fine. Not great, not wealthy, but Tom has enough and everything went wrong. And the other thing I will say is that Tom is probably the single happiest human being I know in my life. And everything has financially gone wrong in Tom's life. So when I hear people in our community who are riddled with worry about, you know, is my two and a half million dollars really going to last? I, I just want to say, yes, it, it is. And even if it doesn't, you'll probably be okay. You know, things are, are if you have the right attitude, things work out. JL, do you have any tips for people who are just getting started on their journey to financial independence today? Well, the first thing I'd say is if you're just getting started in your life and you're, and you're going to start on a path to financial independence, you've discovered it. You, you have a tremendous advantage because you don't have that light, any inflated lifestyle that you need to unwind. So I think the first thing I would say is, is don't let that happen to you. And probably as, as Scott was saying, you know, when, with his savings rate, and I was talking about mine, you know, determine how much of your money you want to sp spend buying your freedom. 
And of course, the more you you divert to buying your freedom, the sooner you will have your full freedom, be fully financially independent. And that's an independent judgment. But just start there. And then you never have to worry about unwinding things. And understand that almost no matter what you make, uh, if you look at half of that, there are people out there who are probably living successfully on half of whatever that number is. That was certainly my experience. So, yeah. And then if you're in debt, I mean, that's job one is, as our friend, Mr. Money Mustache likes to say, if you're in debt, your hair's on fire. So, you know, you need to, and I, I say, you know, being in debt's like being covered with blood sucking leeches. And it's appalling to me that in the United States, we think this is normal. You know, the idea of carrying consumer debt is considered normal. Well, of course I do. You know, that's how I afford all the stuff I, I want to own. It's insane. It's like saying, I don't want to, I don't want to spend X number of dollars for this thing. I want to spend much more than that in the interest payments. And it's, it's again, it's like being covered with blood sucking leeches. It's not normal. You got to take your sharpest knife and start scraping the little blood suckers off. I completely agree. Right. Like why, why like, like consumer debt and, and these types of things that you have to dig yourself out of the hole and then begin the wealth building journey, which you have to do in America if you want to live a comfortable retirement at any point in your life earlier or traditional. So it's an emergency and you know, that's not the time to be go out, going out and eating, eating out or whatever, you know, got consumer debt that you can pay off. You got to just attack this stuff. Here's a silver lining. Cause that's not easy. It's easy for us to say that it's not easy. But if people organize their life in such a fashion to free up money from their income to divert to paying off that debt, they have created a wonderful discipline because once they successfully blow that debt out, all they need to do is start taking that money that was going to the debt and now channel it to buying their freedom, which of course you do by buying assets. So you've already got the discipline in place. You've already created the lifestyle that you need to become wealthy and you can turn it around. I mean, we, we all three of us know people who have done that successfully. Well, Jay, where can people find Pathfinders? Where can people find out more about you? Well, so uh, I, I guess I'll start with the more about me question because that leads to both. Uh, my blog is jlcollinsnh at, uh, dot com, And if you go to the blog, you know, you'll see, uh, you'll be easy to find Pathfinders. You'll find a little ad for Simple Path to Wealth you click on that, they'll take you to Amazon. You can buy Pathfinders at Amazon. One of the uh, Pathfinders is my third book. It's the only one I've done with a traditional publisher. And one of the advantages of that is that they have distribution channels. So my understanding is you should be able to find it in bookstores, maybe even in airports. Um, but if it's not in your bookstore, you can certainly ask them to order it for you, but it should, finding it shouldn't be a problem. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. It's always a pleasure to talk with you and learn from you. Really appreciate it and highly encourage everybody to go to check, to go and check out Pathfinders in addition to the simple path to wealth. So thanks for all you do, um, JL, and great to have you back for the fourth time here on the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. Thank you for having me back. I always enjoy hanging out with you guys in our conversation, and I'm happy to come back anytime, whether I've got a new book or not. So anytime you'll have me, I'm, I'm up for it. It's always always my pleasure. Awesome. Well, thank you, JL. This was so much fun. It's always fun talking to you, and we will talk to you soon. All right, Scott, that was JL Collins, and that was fantastic. I'm so excited about this book. I'm so excited to just have somebody sharing these stories with other people because it is so easy 
to start down the path and think, well, I'm the only person doing this. I'll just stop. Uh, I'm the big weirdo. Why would I put myself in this position? But to have the reinforcements of not only can you do it, you can do it at almost any income level. You can do it regardless of how much you're able to save. Here are stories that show you you can do this. You can become financially independent. I'm just so thankful that JL Collins was able to join us and spend some time with us today. What did you think of the show? I thought it was a great episode and, you know, really, really enjoyed everything that JL had to say. Um, look, that's what we're about here at Bigger Pockets Money. Financial freedom, we believe, is attainable for anybody, no matter when or where you're starting. And that's what Pathfinders is at its core. With that, should we get out of here, Mindy? We should, Scott. That wraps up this episode of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast. Happy New Year to our listeners. He is Scott Trench. I am Mindy Jensen saying ciao, ciao, Willow Bow. If you enjoyed today's episode, please give us a five-star review on Spotify or Apple. And if you're looking for even more money content, feel free to visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash biggerpocketsmoney. Bigger Pockets Money was created by Mindy Jensen and Scott Trench. Produced by Kaylin Bennett. Editing by Exodus Media. Copywriting by Nate Weintraub. Lastly, a big thank you to the Bigger Pockets team for making this show possible. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom and the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into real estate investing or take it to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With the BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.